You're listening to another teaching resource provided as a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. We are currently studying the book of Ephesians, so if you have your Bibles ready, open them up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Ephesians chapter 1. We began our study in the book of Ephesians a few weeks back. We're just going uh, through Ephesians chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Of course, on Sundays... Uh, we go through the New Testament, and on Wednesdays we go through the Old Testament. And so here we are in Ephesians, and we've learned that Ephesians can be broken up into three sort of segments. If you're an outline kind of person, if you're a kind of person that you know, thinks that way, you've got in chapters 1 through 3 the wealth of the believer. And Paul talks about how wealthy we are in Christ. And then in chapters through about the ninth verse of chapter 6, Paul describes our walk as believers. And then, verses 10 through the end of chapter 6, Paul describes our warfare. And so our wealth, our walk, and our warfare, and we've been looking at our wealth, that we are wealthy beyond anything we could ever dream up or conceive of. Now, some of you are probably thinking, oh, wealth, you know, money. It's not money, it's, it's blessings from God that you can't look at on a bank statement that don't show up on your taxes. These are riches in Christ. Blessings. And we've seen that these blessings originate from each person of the Godhead. And in verses 4 through 6, we saw those blessings that came from the Father, that He's chosen us, that He's adopted us, that He's accepted us. And then in verses 7 through 12, we saw those blessings that originate from the Son, that He's redeemed us, He's forgiven us, He's given us wisdom, He's given us of His inheritance. And then, this morning, we're going to see those blessings that come from the Spirit. And see, all of these blessings are described for us generally in verse 3, where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so we've seen those blessings from the Father. We've seen those blessings from the Son. And now we're going to see those blessings from the Spirit. Let's read our text, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. And God, as we open Your Word once again, Lord, I pray that our minds would be focused, that our hearts would be soft. God, that You would open the eyes of our heart, that we might see You. Lord, I pray that these truths would, would go down deep into our heart, God, that they would take root and produce fruit, and that, Lord, we would leave here changed. Speak to us by Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. And so, as we look at these blessings from the Spirit, I want us to notice three things. Three blessings from the Spirit this morning. First of all, He has sealed us. Secondly, He fulfills a promise. And thirdly, He is our guarantee. So let's look at that first blessing at the beginning of chapter, or excuse me, verse 13. He has sealed us. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, 
you were sealed. And so Paul kind of describes the salvation process for, for us here. He says, in him you also trusted. When? After you heard the word of truth. And as Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And, and there's no replacement for simply sharing the gospel with people, telling them of Jesus' love, telling them of what he did for them on the cross so that they might trust after they heard the word of truth. You remember the woman at the well after Jesus told her of her need for him, after Jesus told her that he could satisfy that thirst within her soul, she ran down the mountain. She left her water pot behind and she went and told all of her friends and all of the people from the city came up to hear Jesus because of the word of this woman. She wasn't a Bible scholar. She wasn't a theologian. She simply shared what Jesus had done and and they heard it and they wanted to hear more. Are people in our sphere of influence, are they hearing the gospel? Are they hearing the good news? Because if they're not hearing it from you, they may not be hearing it from anybody else. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed. And so you hear it, and then you believe it. And then at that point, we see the first blessing of the Spirit because the Spirit comes into our life at the moment of salvation. And the Spirit comes into our heart, and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be sealed? Well, this would have been a very familiar process for these believers there in Ephesus, this sealing process. And and really, the sealing of the Holy Spirit teaches us three things about what He wants to do and what He has done in our life. And the only two epistles in which we read of sealing by the Spirit are here in Ephesians and then also in the book of Second Corinthians. Because Corinth and Ephesus were great centers of the lumber industry. These, these logs would be flowing down through the rivers, through the sea, and they would end up there in Ephesus, and there would be just loads of logs. And how would you determine which were yours and and which were this guy's and and which were this guy over here. They would take and they would seal these logs. They would take a chunk out of them and they would imprint them with a seal that would show who they belonged to. And so they were very familiar with it because of that. And this sealing process, it teaches us three things about what the Holy Spirit has done in our life. The first thing is that it shows us the transaction is complete. When a document was complete when a legal document or some type of sale and a document was drafted up when it was complete they would put and we still to this day put a seal upon it maybe a stamp you know when you when you go through customs you re-enter the United States and they put the stamp after you've waited in line for like 800 hours and they put the stamp on your passport it says you are allowed to come back into the United States you don't just Cut in line. You don't just decide that you're going to, you know, waltz through. They'll have a problem with that. You have to be stamped. And they ask you, you know, a few questions. You know, do you have any bombs on you? Yeah, I do. I just picked some up just, you know, right before I got here. But they they stamp that and they say the transaction is complete. You're allowed to re-enter. And they always say, welcome to the United States or welcome back 
to the United States. And, and if you've been in a country that's not so pleasant, it's like, praise the Lord, I'm back. And, and that transaction is complete. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. John 19, verse 30, it is finished. He didn't say it's almost done. He didn't say, well, if I had just done this, man, it would have been better, but, you know, it's pretty good. It's the best I could do. He said, it is finished. We are not working toward, we are resting in. And salvation, you guys, is a done deal. It's not something that you have to work at. It's not about giving away all your stuff. How often... Do, do pastors and evangelists and people make it seem like there's, there's a little bit more that you need to do? You know, give, give away your stuff or, you know, hey, burn that CD collection. Or maybe for some of you older people, you know, it's the records. You know, burn those records, unplug the TV, you know, ship your kids off to, you know, private school or start homeschooling them or some other thing that you've got to do in order to be saved. And we know or at least we ought to know that the transaction is complete because the Holy Spirit is in our heart. He's sealed us. He's given us that stamp of approval to say the work is done. It's finished. And that's the first thing that we learn as we read that we've been sealed with the Spirit is that the transaction is complete. I hope you know that. A second thing that we learn about sealing, what it teaches us about the Holy Spirit and His work in our life, is ownership. You see, when you put a seal on something, just like I described with those logs, it means that you own that. And last week, as we saw the blessings from the Son, we saw that we were redeemed, that we've been redeemed, that is, purchased by the blood of Christ, that our lives are not our own, that there is ownership, and He's put His seal upon us to show that He owns us, that He purchased us with His blood, that our lives do not belong to us. We don't just get to do whatever we want. And that's why when you go and do whatever you want and you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, that's why there is guilt about that. That's why there's conviction because you're not allowed to do that. Your life is not your own. It's like taking somebody else's truck and, you know, taking it out and four buying with it. You know, you're not allowed to do that. It's not yours. Our life is not our own. And so we're not allowed to just go and do whatever we want or whatever pleases the flesh. And when we do, the Bible says in Ephesians 4 verse 30 that we grieve the Holy Spirit. And we ought not do that because we've been sealed until the day of redemption, he says there. And so we're sealed to prove ownership. And we can understand that. You know, we may not seal stuff, but we write our name on things. I remember when my daughter went to preschool. And, and you know, you've got to go buy all the pencils and the pins and all this stuff and backpack. And, you know, they want you to write her name on everything because all the kids have the same stuff. And so you write your name on every pencil, on every pin, on her backpack, on her shoes, you know. And, and that shows who it belongs to. Oh, this is Caitlin's. Okay. You know, because she just throws her stuff everywhere. Now, hopefully, as you get older, you don't have to like write your name on the tag of your shirt anymore. Hopefully, you know it's yours. But we still write our name on stuff. And we, you know, you buy an iPod, and they say, "Hey, we'd like to to do a, you know, a, an engraving for you, complimentary engraving. You know, a $400 iPod, and we'll engrave it on the back for you. You know, whoop de do. How about you fill it with music first? You know, but they'll engrave, they'll engrave your name on the back or whatever you want it to say." And, and that shows that you own it. Or, you know, your luggage. You, you put your luggage on the plane and you, and you fill out that little thing so that if it gets lost, they know who it belongs to. Maybe around here and 
you know, maybe we're familiar with like branding cattle, you know. Seems like a cruel thing to do, but just branding that, that cattle and, and that cow or whatever it is, and, and you say, this is mine, it belongs to me, so that when they're out, you know, ranging, whatever they do, you know, uh, eating out there in the BLM, I don't know what they eat out there. They, it seem, that, that seems cruel to me too. Here you go, dump you off out into the sagebrush, you know, hope you find something to eat. It's like, that's awesome. And then, and then you expect them to come back, you know, and I don't know how they come back, and you know they must lose a ton of them. Because when I'm out there hunting, I see them all over the place. It's like, this, you're four miles off the road, and here's this cow staring at you. I don't think he's supposed to be there. She's supposed to be there. He's lost, you know. But you brand it so that you know who it belongs to. And ownership, as we are sealed with the Spirit, and it speaks of ownership, ownership denotes protection. We were sealed for the day of redemption. See, God is protecting us. He's keeping us. He's preserving us. And when you own something, typically you protect it. You know, it's like that house that you've driven by a thousand times and you don't even think about that house. It could be on fire and you don't care. But now all of a sudden you buy it and now you care about it. You've driven by that house hundreds, if not thousands of times, and now you buy it and now you care about it because you own it. And so there's a protection there. And God owns us. He's purchased us with His blood and He protects us. And so they put that seal on things, merchandise, to, to show that it belonged to a certain king, to a certain nobility. That's what would be in their understanding because Ephesus was a major seaport. Stuff was coming in, stuff was going out, and they would put their seal, it was this hot wax, and then they would put the signet ring into it and it would show it belongs to this person. It would denote ownership. God wants us to know that He owns us, that we belong to Him. Are we cognizant of that? Are we aware of that? Do we remind ourselves of that on a daily basis? You know, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, what we're doing with the gifts that God's given us. You know, the expectations that we have for our kids. You know, we want our kids to do all these things that are, that are really kind of, in a sense, successful in the world's eyes. But if our kids really belong to God, then what we would want for them is that they would absolutely and passionately be in love with Jesus, and beyond that, it really isn't that big of a deal. You know, I pray for my son every night, and I'd love for him to be a pastor or a worship leader or something like that. But you know what? If, if he is, you know, a, a garbage man or works at McDonald's or whatever, I mean, that's, that's fine as long as he loves Jesus, because that's what matters. And, and so the things in our life, you guys... Do, do we have a firm grip on them as if they belong to us? Or, or is it just allowing God to use whatever it is that He's given us, including our very life? And, and we're not holding on with all of our might. He bought us and He owns us. A third thing that the sealing speaks to us of, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, is authenticity. When they would place that seal upon something, it would show that it's authentic that it was made or crafted by a certain person. And we understand this with logos. You know, you go into a store and, and, you know, if Walmart says they're selling Nikes, but it's their, you know, Walmart brand of shoe, they're not really Nikes. You know, if they have like some inverted swoosh or some weird thing, you know it's not a Nike. Nike has their swoosh and you can't just use that or replicate that. You can't just 
decide that you're going to start calling your product Nike. Or, or you know, Coke. Coke has their logo. Their, the way that they write the, the name Coca-Cola and the font that they use, that belongs to them. You can't just start producing that and producing your own soda. And when you go into the store, you go into Fred Meyer or Safeway, and they've got their brand, you know, and they can make the can look kind of close or whatever, and they call it, you know, Fred Soda or whatever, and it's horrible, you know. You, you know it's not the same. My parents used to try to pawn that off on us when I was a kid. They, they would buy Cragmont, and I don't know where it came from. It was like Thriftway or something. I think it went out of business. But Cragmont, we called it Gagmont because it was horrible. You know, you pour it into the glass and it's flat before it gets to the top. You know, it's just terrible. And we understand authenticity. And the Bible tells us that if the Holy Spirit is not in our life, then we're not saved. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Well, how do we know we have the Spirit of Christ? Well, it's not super hard to figure out. It's kind of like when a hurricane blows through South Florida. They're not scratching their heads going, well, was that a hurricane? Should we name that one? Or, or was that like just a little bit of wind? I mean, they know it just destroyed the city, you know. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, there's evidence of it. There's a demonstration. And we are not the real deal unless we have the seal of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the Holy Spirit will produce fruit. It will be very evident. And there's a lot of people that go to church, that tote a Bible, that know worship songs, but they're going to stand before the Lord and they're going to hear Him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We can, we can mouth stuff. We can go through the motions. We can wear Christian t-shirts. We can do a lot of stuff. But the fact is, are we really saved? And if we are, we'll have the Holy Spirit and it will produce fruit. He will produce fruit in our life. No one can be indwelt by the Spirit of God and keep that to himself. You know how people like to say, well, I just got this private thing going with God. You know, it's just kind of a, a little secret thing and I don't like to talk about it a whole lot. That is an oxymoron. You cannot have the Holy Spirit in your life and not have a flowing forth. There's, there's no such thing as a private relationship with God. People will see that in you. They'll know it. And it will be very, very evident. And so all of these things, the seal of the Holy Spirit upon our life, the, the fact that the transaction is complete, the fact that it speaks of ownership, the fact that it speaks of authenticity, I think the application here is really clear in that when they would put the seal upon that thing, whether it be a document or merchandise or something that they didn't want to have opened, they would put that seal and they would use the hot wax and then the, the king or the noble or whoever it was, he would take his signet ring and he would place that in the hot wax and he would make an impression on it. And you know what, you guys? Jesus wants to make an impression on our hearts. But the key is that we have soft hearts. And you know, when we're not in the Word, when we're not in prayer, when we're not in fellowship, when we're not doing the basics, our hearts begin to get hard. When we give in to sin, when we give in to sin, and that layer of callousness just begins to grow on our heart, our hearts aren't soft, and Jesus is not able to make an impression on us. He wants to. You remember Moses in Exodus 33, verse 18, after he's pleading with God to forgive the people for their sins because they had worshipped the golden calf? And Moses prays and he says, God, show me your glory. And that word glory there in the Hebrew is kabod. And it speaks of weightiness. It speaks of making an impression. And basically what Moses was saying is, God, make an impression on my heart. 
I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. He wants to make an impression on us. He wants to change us in a radical way. He wants to put the stamp of Jesus Christ upon us so that people can see Him clearly in our life. Are we allowing Him to do that? Has He made an impression on our heart? The Holy Spirit has sealed us. Well, a second blessing from the Holy Spirit is that He fulfills the promise given to us by Jesus. Look at verse 13 there. At the end, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This was a promise given to us and given to the disciples specifically back in John chapter 14. Jesus was telling His disciples that He was going to be leaving them and they were freaked out about that. And Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he, he was telling them about heaven. He was telling them about the fact that He would come for them. And He wasn't going to leave them alone forever. But in the meantime, He said, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you orphans because I'm going to send you another helper. John 14, verse 16. That He may abide with you forever. Now this would have blown their minds. Because the Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament, but only for certain times and for specific reasons. And the Spirit would come and the Spirit would go. You remember the Bible says that the Spirit left Saul? The Spirit left Samson? Remember David in Psalm 51 said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And we still sing that song. And it's really not accurate from a New Testament perspective. Because the Spirit doesn't come and go from our life anymore. The Spirit abides with us forever. And he says there, I will give you another helper. Now, there's two Greek words for another. There's one that means another of a completely different kind. And then there's another that is of a, the same kind, but it's additional. And we understand that. You know, it's like if you're driving a Ford Pinto and then you get a Lexus, that's another of a different kind. Now, I remember my father-in-law, he drives a 1983 Toyota. They didn't call them Tacomas then. They're just like Toyotas, right? SR5 or whatever it was. And he's had this thing since it was you know, brand new, right off the showroom. The thing is falling apart. And so I bought a new truck last year, and you know, he's driving in it with me. And he says to me, this really isn't any different than my truck. Mine's a you know, Toyota Tacoma. And his is a Toyota, 1983, 2006. And he says, this, this isn't any different than mine. This is the same thing. You couldn't, you know, my truck's basically the same as this. And I said, look, this couldn't be more different than your truck. The only thing that's the same is that they say Toyota. Yours doesn't anymore because all of the insignias have fallen off. And all of the people that made your truck have died. They're not even alive today. <laughs> You know, and he, he didn't say much, you know. I mean, it's like the suspension system's not the same. The motor's not the same. There's nothing the same. Well, so we understand when Jesus says, I will give you another helper, but he says, I will give you another of the same kind. And so it would be like, you know, taking your 2007 Lexus and getting another 2007 Lexus. It's another of the same kind. Kind. He says, I've given you of the Holy Spirit another helper. The word is parakletos. It means comforter. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a comforter. And that was the promise that He gave to His disciples. And He says this Holy Spirit will be with you. 
and then He will be in you. And then later Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And there's three ministries of the Holy Spirit as we talk about this promise. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit. He says the the Holy Spirit is with you right now. And that word is para. It means to come alongside. And we understand that with words like parachute or paramedic. They come alongside and they help you. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and He drives us. He draws us to Christ. And then once we make that decision to come to Christ, as we read in verse 13, having trusted Him, when we make that decision, the Spirit comes into our life, and that's when Jesus said He will be in you. The Spirit lives in us. But then later Jesus said to His disciples, He said, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be My witnesses. And that word come upon is a different preposition. It's a different ministry of the Spirit where the Spirit flows forth from us. John chapter 7, Jesus said, He who believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so there is a different experience of the Spirit as he flows forth from our heart. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, In order to experience that, you simply need to ask. You just ask. And the Spirit comes upon you and the Spirit flows forth from you. And some call it a baptism of the Spirit. Paul in Ephesians 5.18 says to be filled with the Spirit. And that is the promise that we have. This Holy Spirit of promise. And the awesome thing about God's promises is that they always come to pass. You know, man's promises, they don't always come to pass. People say they're going to do this. You know, the old, the check is in the mail. How many times have you heard that? Or, yeah, I'll be there on Monday, you know, the contractor. I'll be there on Monday. Yeah, that means Friday, right? And whatever it is and promises that, that people make, you, you tend to not believe them. You, you buy something and, and the salesman gives you a whole line and you don't believe a word of it. Oh, this car this is, you know, brought in by an 80-year-old grandma. She never even drove this thing but three times. And you're like, yeah, right, this thing's been hot-rotted, you know. You don't believe things because the the source isn't credible. But we have promises from God. And every one of them has come to pass. They've all come to pass. And so when we see this promise coming to pass, that He's given us of His Holy Spirit, then we can have confidence that those promises that maybe right now you're not quite seeing come to fruition. You're not quite seeing them happen in your life. And, And you think, yeah, God promised to provide, but man, the... The bills are coming in and money's tight and I lost my job and how's He going to provide it? And yet the Bible tells us that He will provide and, and so we can rest in that promise that He's given us. And so He's given us of the Holy Spirit according to His promise. Well, a third blessing from the Holy Spirit is that He is the guarantee of our inheritance. Verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. And so He's the guarantee. He is the down payment, it could be translated, or earnest money. We're familiar with earnest money, right? You're going to go buy a house, and you agree upon a price, and you want to make an offer, and the owner of the house says, great, I accept the offer, but I want some earnest money so that I can be sure that you're not just going to back out on this deal halfway through it. 
And so you give them $1,000 and you say, look, I'm serious about this. In fact, I'm so serious. Here's $1,000 that if I back out, you get to keep. And so now it's like, hey, I hope you back out, you know. And, and so you're confident that they're going to come through with the deal. The, the Greek word is Erebon. It, it, it speaks of a foretaste of what's to come. A foretaste of what is to come. We have received the first dollar of a million dollar inheritance. It's a down payment. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. We have just get, been given a little taste. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, I mean, it's amazing, right? You, you have love and joy and peace, fulfillment that blows your mind. If you haven't experienced that, and you, you need to begin to ask God to, to reveal Himself to you and to work in your life. But you've experienced that. But all of those things that you've experienced, the pinnacle of your relationship with Christ is nothing compared to what is coming. We've just been given a little taste, a little glimpse. It's kind of like the, the little samples at Costco. You know, you walk around, you get the little samples, right? And, and they don't give you that to satisfy you. They give you that so that you'll buy the whole deal. It's not like they just dump out into your lap, you know, like the whole bag of beef jerky. You know, like, here you go, you know. No, they give you a little piece. And, and then they're hoping that you'll buy the whole thing. Or, you know, they give you a little taste of that teriyaki chicken wing and they want you to buy the whole bag for like $350. You know, and you have enough wings for, you know, until 2020. And they, they want you to buy buy the whole thing because, man, these taste so good and this is so delicious and they hope you come there hungry. But they're not trying to satisfy you. And you guys, why are we trying to find satisfaction in this life? The satisfaction that we have is going to be when we stand before Him and He gives us everything. The whole deal. And He lays it out before us. We've been given just a little taste. Just a little bit. It's a down payment. It's a deposit. So that we have confidence that He's coming back for us. See, if He just left us orphans and just left us kind of on our own, we wouldn't know. But He's left us with His Holy Spirit to prove to us that yes, I'm coming back. It's kind of like when a contractor comes to your house and they do remodeling, you know, and they start tearing out walls and they start destroying your house and then they leave like at 3 o'clock. They never stay till 5. They're, they're there till 3. They get there at 10. They're there till 3. They do just enough to destroy your house and then you're like, this fear sets in. And you begin to think, what if they never come back? My house is now destroyed. I can't walk through my house. The fridge is out in the middle of the room. The microwave is, you know, just sort of precariously leaning on the desk, you know, and, and things are just completely out of order. What if the guy never comes back? But then you start to look around and you see his tools. And these aren't cheap tools. You know, these aren't the kind that come like in a big set, you know, from shucks. This is, this is like the real deal. This is DeWalt. And, and you're like, wow, there's a lot of money here. He's going to come back. I'm confident of that. Because he's left all his tools here. And you think if he doesn't come back, then I'll just keep his tools and I'll hire somebody else. Right? So it's kind of cool. And it gives you confidence. It gives you confidence that he's going to return. Another thing that this guarantee can kind of speak of, an illustration, would be an engagement ring. This word guarantee could be translated an engagement ring. And I remember when I asked Andrea to marry me, I gave her this, this ring. And I worked all summer for that ring. Now, I'll have you know that last service, 
she lied in front of everybody about the size of the ring just to make people laugh. She told me that afterward. I gave her a half carrot. She said it was a quarter carrot. Then she came up. I was just joking to make people laugh. You know, I can't remember what it was. But now I bought her a nicer ring, you know, since. And, but it was like a, it was a half carrot. I worked all summer for it. I wasn't going to give her, you know, like the little dentist office thing, you know. I gave her the, a, a nice ring. But what that basically said to her was that when we have the wedding, which we had our wedding in January, middle of the winter. There's a story behind that. But we had our wedding in the middle of the winter. And basically what I said to her by giving her that engagement ring is I'm going to come to the wedding. I'm going to show up and I'm going to say I do. And I'm going to marry you. And that's what God has done. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And he says this is just a, an engagement ring. The real thing is coming. I've got a a plan that's going to blow your mind. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is entered into the heart of man what God has prepared. And you guys, that ought to give us some hope in light of the things that are going on in your life. The struggles, the conflicts, the the heartache, the difficulty that you're having with, with the flesh. Man, Jesus is coming. He's got a plan. He's going to take you home to be with Him. He's going to give you His inheritance. This isn't the end of the story. This isn't the full meal deal yet. We've only been given a little taste, a little sample, not to to satisfy us completely, but to show us that He's got more coming. And so keep your eyes on Him. Don't get Him focused on this life. Don't get so focused on the difficulties. Keep your eyes on Jesus because He's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. He's going to redeem us. We're His purchased possession. He's going to redeem us, take us home to be with Him, to the praise of His glory. And basically in these verses, Paul has been writing a worship song. In verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God, is what he says there. In verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Verse 12, should be to the praise of His glory. And then here in verse 14, to the praise of His glory. It's basically a worship song that Paul's been writing. And he's saying, in light of all of these blessings, we should be praising the Lord. But we're not, are we? We're always wanting something else. We're always expecting more. You know, we've been doing this landscape project at my house. And, and you know, we, we've lived in our house for six years and we've done zero landscaping. I hate landscaping. I grew up doing it every Saturday. That's all we did. We had an acre of grass, and it was a nightmare. And so I just always said, I'm not going to have all that stuff. You know, it's just I'd rather you know have a little bit of a life, you know, and, and not be married to the yard. And so we we we're doing this landscaping, and and my wife has had zero. Don't let her fool you. She has had zero to do with this landscaping job. She has not picked up a shovel. In fact, she she did one little thing with the shovel, and then the next day she said her back hurt. You know, I'm like, you're you're killing me. You are killing me. But we're just digging out there, and 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 then she would come back because she would take the kids away. You know, because they were like backfilling before it was time to backfill for like the irrigation lines and stuff. And so she comes back. And she's like, I didn't want that plant there, and I wanted you to do this. And I'm like, look, we are dying out here. Don't come back and just start saying, you know, I want you to dig up this tree, and I didn't like that, and how come you bought that plant? And that is not flying right now, you know. And, and so we always want more, don't we? 
we get a new car, and then like a year later, you know, it's not so cool anymore. You get a new pair of shoes, and you want, you know, another pair of shoes, you know. It's not sad. You, you kill a big buck, you know. What? what guy has ever killed a monster buck and then thought, that's it, I don't need to kill another one ever again. That's, I'm satisfied, you know. We're not like that. We, we always want more. We, all, we get that raise, and then, oh, man, it would be nice to make this much. Because that's how we are as people. You guys, we need to be grateful for what God has given us. He's given us so much, and it ought to bring worship to our hearts. Are we worshipful people, or are we complainers? Worship should exude from us. It should just be part of our life. Excitement about God, praising Him for what He's done. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to spend a little time just worshiping the Lord, telling Him how much we love Him. And I also want to give you an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.